Thank you, Lee. Thank you, worship ministry. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word today and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 as we move to the next piece of our puzzle being put together as we've talked about what makes a church. Last week you all looked with Pastor Ricky that a church as God has designed it should be a church which grows. This house, the Lord's house, should be a house which grows. And hopefully, uh, as of last week, if you're not involved in a Bible study or a grow group Sunday school class, that God will uh, continue to open that door for you to get involved in grow groups here at First Baptist Church of Tupelo. But there is one thing that separates the church probably more than anything else. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that is belief. Belief. In fact, our statement is this. Only a believing church pleases God. In fact, it's probably the most fundamental thing about who we are as a people, who we are as First Baptist Church, who we are as a Christian church, as a part of the church, the worldwide church of Jesus Christ in every continent, all over every country as the church is spread abroad. Believe the most fundamental thing about who we are. Would you look with me in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6? Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. Six, a verse that you probably know. The word of our God says this morning, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, that verse, Hebrews eleven six, is found in Hebrews 11, which is known by many as the faith chapter. If you took Bible drill as a kid, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. In fact, Hebrews 11, verse 1, opens with a declaration about faith that says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, The conviction of things not seen. So whatever faith is, there is a whole chapter in the New Testament dedicated to its discussion. A few weeks ago when we talked about love, there is the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, and I want to submit to you today that it is the most fundamental and defining thing about the church about you and me and that only a believing church pleases God because it's so short I want to read it to you one more time our text and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him And then the faith chapter begins going through the stories that we find in our Old Testament which speak about faithful men and women that trusted God. So what does this word mean? If 
believing and faith, if it's so fundamental to who we are, what does faith even mean? If it's that important, if there's a whole chapter dedicated to it, if it's fundamental to who we are as a church, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe? We say it all the time. Hey, believe. Hey, have faith. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, well, what does that mean? Well, we want to look at that today. Hebrews 11 helps us understand by defining for us what the word means. There are different schools of theology out there. Ways of understanding theology, of course, is our understanding of who God is. And just generally, um, uh, that'd be theology proper, the doctrine of God, but But general theology is just understanding everything about God. And there are three different ways of doing that. One is called systematic theology. Systematic theology categorizes each matter of doctrine by subject. And then it looks throughout the Scripture at varying Scriptures spread throughout the Bible to deal with the subjects of theology broken down by topic. Then there is historical theology, which is this. It is rather than breaking down the topics and systematizing them by topic, it looks at theology as it has developed through the church age for the last 2,000 years. But then there is biblical theology. And by the way, all of these are good. They're just different ways of understanding and studying God and His Word. But there's biblical theology, and biblical theology is this. It is using the story of the Bible itself to define the doctrines that you're seeking to understand. I find personally that biblical theology is most helpful. They all have their place. But the reason I find biblical theology most helpful is because if God wanted us to have a systematized book of topics and doctrines, I think He would have given us that. If God wanted us to have a history of the church, I think He would have given us that. We have some of those things in part, but primarily what we have in the Bible is a story. It's a story. It's the bulk of what we have as the Scripture. And in fact, all the other stuff in the Bible that's not story is commentary on the story. God gave us a story. And therefore, I think it's best, if you want to understand what words and doctrines mean, is you look to the story. Because this is what the Bible does. So, the word faith has historical definition. The word faith has historical definition. Now, I don't want to talk about it as in what does it mean and what has it meant for the past hundred years? What has it meant for the last 2,000 years? No, I'm put ourselves in the day which Hebrews 11 was written, what would it have meant to these people that originally read this when the New Testament book of Hebrews was written? What would the word faith have meant? Where would they go to understand what Paul meant when he used this word? Well, faith, in the original language, it's called pistis or pistos. Faith is this. It is whatever Abraham did in Genesis 15. That's the plainest, easiest definition. And frankly, this is the way that they would have thought about the subject. Whatever faith is, 
is whatever Abraham did in Genesis 15. Now, why is that? Because if you look at Hebrews 11, you say, well, wait a second. As I read Hebrews 11 in verse number four, it starts with Abel as the first one who exhibited faith. True. Then it moves on and it talks about Noah. And then finally, we get to Abraham. Why is it that these early readers of Scripture would have immediately and first and foremost thought about Abraham when they heard the word and saw the word faith? And it's because of this. It's in the story of Abraham where the first time this word is used. And it's in Genesis 15 when Abraham, it says, believes God. And it's using this word. And in fact, when you look at the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, which is a book that we call the Septuagint, but would have been their Bible. The people of the New Testament were not using the original Hebrew Scriptures. They were using a translation like you and me today. We are using an English translation, but they were reading a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the first time this word is used is in Genesis 15. Let me read it to you. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. We're going to talk a little more about Abraham in just a second. But I'm going to assume you know the story. If not, I'm going to catch you up in a moment. But in Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, one of his servants. And Abram, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the first time these words are used in the Scripture talking about faith. So whatever faith is to these people who would have known their Old Testament, to let it be defined by the Bible, faith is whatever Father Abraham did when he trusted God. So what did Father Abraham do? Well, if you look down in verse number 8 back in Hebrews 11, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, I'm going to look at um, 8 through, um, let's see, 17 this morning. 8 through 17. This is just the story of Abraham as the, the Scripture tells it. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place. And he was, he was to receive as an inheritance. If you know your Bible, that's Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Where God said to Abram, leave your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. 
Hebrews says, well, he did this because of faith. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age she considered him more faithful who had promised. She conceived when she was 90 years of age, and Abraham was 100. Verse 12, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, interesting, um, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land which they had gone, from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. This is so beautiful. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac when he had received the promises and was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. Now let's pause here for just a minute. I'm assuming you know that story, but if not, I want to just catch you up on the story. Abraham was the man whom God called to make a great nation out of him, that through Abraham, God's elect, that he would bless the entire world. And Abraham was going, Abram at this time, was going to be his vessel. Now, What's interesting is this whole story starts when, when Abraham is already an old man, is called by God, 70 years of age, to leave his father's house and go to a land he's never seen before. I want you to imagine at 70 years of age, leaving everything you know, leaving everyone you know, leaving everything that you have accumulated, accumulated reputationally where you are and going out to a place that you have never heard of or never seen before only because you believe God is leading you. 70 years old. That takes faith. Well, the story goes on and one of the things that I love about the story of Abraham is it's a true story. It's a real story. And you read about Abraham's mistakes. Abraham goes out and one of the first things that he does once he gets to the promised land of Canaan is he leaves it. And he goes down to Egypt. And then fearing while he is in Egypt that Pharaoh, wanting to add to his harem, would see his beautiful wife Sarah and would kill Abraham and take his wife. He said, Sarah, I want you to do this favor for me. They were half brother and sister anyway. Made sense at the time. But anyway, fearing for his life, he said, I want you to do me a favor. 
I want you to tell everyone that you're my sister, and because of this, I will be blessed materially, and you can just go live in the Pharaoh's harem. Hello. What happened to our man of faith? The man who was willing to go to a land that God has never that he had never seen before only because he believed that God had called him. And the first thing he does when he gets there is he goes south to a different place. And then he says, yeah, sure, yeah, my wife can live with another man so I can save my own skin. But then the story goes on. It doesn't stay there. Of course, God delivers Sarah. God delivers Abraham. And then they go back to the land of Canaan. And then while they are there in Canaan, he continues on as a childless man. And God promises him and says, hey, listen, one from your very own body is going to come. And there in Genesis 15, the text of Scripture says this, Abram believed God. He had faith. This was the high point that God was going to send him an heir from his very own body and he would not leave his name and his possessions and his everything, uh, his, the inheritance that he would offer. He wouldn't leave it to his nephew Lot. He wouldn't leave it to Eliezer of Damascus as an adopted son. But no, he would have his very own son, the man of faith. And then he celebrates it in the very next chapter by coming up with an idea along with his wife of sleeping with her handmaiden to produce a child by her. What happened to our man of faith? He just has this huge moment that Hebrews talks about that says, by faith, Abram believed God. And this is the first time faith is ever mentioned. And then the next chapter, he's sleeping with somebody else to come up with a kid to fulfill the promise. What happened? But then the story goes on. The story goes on, God indeed does send a child and he sends the child through Sarah. And when she was 90 and he was 100 the child Isaac was born, whose name means laughter. And then as this boy grew up, he came, became near and dear to Abram and his wife Sarah. And then when Abram was an old man, and his boy had become a youth, God tested Abram and said, Abram, I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to put Abram to the test. And the book of Hebrews says... That Abram reasoned within himself specifically. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And he was willing to offer his only son. Why? Because he believed God's promises. Why am I pushing this today? The word faith has historical definition unfortunately before we go to our next point and this won't be a long message but unfortunately our understanding of faith in the american south is being faithful and our understanding of faithful in the american south is being good and nice now i'm a fan of good and nice and that's why i live in the American South. Because it's nice and good here. I had some friends visit who were from another part of the country and they came and they said, everybody is so nice here. We went into the grocery store and people talked to us. 
is that normal? I said, yes, because we're nice. We like each other. But being nice and being faithful, being good and being faithful are not the same thing. And I'm afraid even in the church, faithfulness is thought of as this. Don't mess up. Now, I'm a fan of not messing up. Messes are annoying. They're sticky. They're frustrating. But our understanding of what it means to be faithful so often is be nice, be good, and don't mess up your life. And that's how we define what it means to be faithful. But the American South doesn't define the word faith. The Bible does. And the Bible uses a man called Abram, changed to Abraham to define this word. And he was a man, I hope, when I just shared his testimony with you, was not always nice, was not always good. And sometimes he created some real messes in his marriage, amongst his children, and amongst his neighbors. Yet God uses this man to define what faith is for the entire Bible. To go back and reread verse number 6, remembering that whatever faith is is whatever Abraham did. Verse number 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please Him. That means you can be nice you can be good and you can have a squeaky clean life and not please God. That's what that verse means. Because if you're not doing what Abraham did, you're not pleasing God. So what did Abraham do? Well, he exercised faith when he trusted God in these circumstances, which leads us to point number two, which is this. The word faith has exclusive expectations. The word faith has exclusive expectations. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Meaning, this is exclusive. If you want to please God, the only way to achieve that good and faithful servant, well done, the only way to please God, this one thing has to be done. It's more fundamental than anything we do, and it has to be faith. It's exclusively expected of us. If you want your life to matter for the kingdom of God, if you want to please God with your life, you have to have faith. For only faith can please God according to the Scripture. You know... I told you what we commonly think it to be, to being good and nice and not having a messy life. But I'll tell you this, all of us know it when we see it. When there is something about our lives or the lives of other people that goes beyond explanation that the only reason people are acting this way is because they trust God. I got to see this up close and personal this week. His family is here today. Many of you um, have heard that our brother Don McCain went to see Jesus this week. 
And there will be more testimony time in the future. I don't want to steal what Miss Rose has to share with her class and her family. But one of the things that was abundantly clear about our brother Don is that everyone that walked into that hospital room while he was dying was blessed by his presence. He was praying with nurses. He was encouraging doctors. As people came in to deliver the meals, he offered to pray for them. That's not normal. And that causes everyone to go, there's something different going on here. Why would somebody be acting this way even when they're dying? It's because there's a reason under the reason. And the reason under the reason is faith. Believing in God's promises. You see, any goodness apart from faith has no lasting value. Any goodness apart from faith has no lasting value. If you... Um, you've listened to me preach for any amount of time. You know that I've read a lot about NDEs, near-death experiences through the years. I'm fascinated by that. In fact, in fact, after my son died, I became even more fascinated by that. Of course, um, we put our faith and hope in the Word of God, not in someone else's experience. But it is interesting to me when people share these near-death experiences about what they experience after being declared dead and then come back and then talk about what they experienced on the other side so to speak and how it seemingly many times lines up with scripture are they true i don't know only god knows but i was reading about one in particular and this man who was talking about he had a near-death experience where he was dead for i, I believe it was 11 hours and then he spent time on the other side so to speak he said he didn't wasn't allowed to go all the way into heaven and see all those things he just said, but he did have a conversation with whom he believed to be Jesus. And he said, I had something called a, a, what near-death experiencers call a life review, where you, you, in a sense, see your whole life at one time. And, he, and it's interesting when you read about these that it's, people never feel condemned. They always feel accepted and loved as they see their life before them. Again, I'm not preaching a near-death experience. I don't know if they're true. I, I think they are, but I could be wrong. I trust the Bible, not someone's experience. But the thing that stuck out for me is this. When I remember reading this man's story, he said this. He said, when I had my life review, everything that I thought was important turned out not to be that important. Everything that I that was so important to me, and I would have said, this is what defined me, turned out to be not that important. And he said, and then there were things that I'd totally forgotten about that were apparently very important. You see, any goodness apart from faith has no lasting value. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23 says this, but whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What does that mean? That means you can do just about anything for the wrong reason. 
I mean, we're all here at church today, and I'm so glad that you're here. There's never a bad reason to come to church in my eyes. But also, I'm not God. Did you know that even coming to church could in somehow not be considered faith if you're doing this for the wrong reason? Meaning, if you come here just for entertainment, if you come here just to see your friends, if you come here, don't care anything for the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, care nothing about Jesus and who he is. If you're just here, it's because this is what you like doing on Sunday. First of all, I'm a southerner. I try to be nice. I'm glad you're here and I want you to come back. However, I'm telling you what the Bible says. That's actually working against you. Because whatever is not from faith, is ultimately not pleasing to God. I want you to think about your life. How much do you and I do because there's a God in heaven who loves us so very much, who gave his life for us and has saved us and has promised us a life everlasting with him. How much of our life is centered around this? Because sometimes it's the only thing that will keep you in the game. Because people can be frustrating. People can hurt your feelings. Sometimes there's going to be all kinds of pragmatic reasons in the world to do whatever decision it is. You fill in the blank. I don't want to start cherry picking topics. But think about every decision that people say, well, I'm just going to do this because it makes it happy. It makes me happy. I'm tired of putting up with this. I'm just not going to fool with this anymore. I'm just going to do this. And then there are those times when it says, listen, I know that this doesn't make me happy at all, but I'm doing this just because there's a God in heaven and I know this pleases him and I'm going to trust him even if I don't understand And by the way, if you think you've never done both of those, Abraham did both of those. I've done both of those. We're all a mixture of doing things from our own desires through pragmatic thinking like Abraham and through doing things through faith. But any goodness apart from faith has no lasting value. But the final thing is this, is the word faith has specific reward. The word faith has specific reward. Look back in verse number six, what it says again. And without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What is faith? Essentially, it's trusting God's promises. And a drawn out definition from Abraham's life, here's what I would say. Faith is trusting the promises of a God you cannot see with problems you can see. Trusting he will provide with means you cannot discern to take you to a future blessing you cannot fully comprehend. In short, God is there. God is good. Trusting God is the only path to what is good. I'm going to close with this thought of just a very practical example of faith and just our own history, shared history together. 
First of all, I'm so pleased and excited to see all the progress that is right outside our door. We have a finished building there on the other end, and now we've got a building that's being, there's a foundation out there, there's steel coming up, and oh my goodness, to think of all that has transpired since then, we began this process of building and conversation and having committee meetings in 2017, and even the big ideas of that began even long before that, 10 years before that, but the, really the, the big discussion started in 2017, and we began to talk about what it would look like and how we would get there and how much it was going to cost, and I remember in those early stages, they were talking about making the changes, and we ended up doing different changes than those early ones. It's neat to see the, how the evolution of ideas change over time, but I remember sitting in those meetings and the, um, the consultant we were talking to at the time, it was not the one we ended up using, but was offering this solution for our building. And he told us, he looked at us and he said, yeah, he said, if we do this, this will be $3 million. And I thought, dear God in heaven, where are we going to come up with $3 million and I thought, I can't responsibly get up in front of the church and say, hey, listen, I believe God wants us to spend $3 billion. There's no way that I just, that is just absolutely crazy to me. But then I talked to some people in, in, in the church and they said, oh, don't worry, I think we can handle $3 million. Okay, Whew, good. All right. And then we got back together and they said, no, well, you know, it's not going to be $3 million. Uh, the committee got together and was led by the Lord after hearing the input from the church of what needed to be done and what it needed to be look like, needed to look like, and then it turned out it was going to be between six and seven million dollars. And I thought, oh gosh, my, my pastor heart. If I was struggling with three million dollars, how in the world am I going to get up and say six, seven million dollars? Listen, there's a little place called Glory in the future. It's only six million dollars between here and there. Trust me, we're going to get there. God's going to do it. Oh my goodness, but <laughs> story gets worse, y'all, um, <laughs> because there was a little thing that called COVID that hit, and then all of a sudden that six to seven million dollars turned into 12 million dollars, and then we decided, hey, we're going to do this, and at 12 million dollars, I just knew that, uh, oh my goodness, I, I, I just, I don't even know anymore, I'm just, I've just blacked out, and um but fortunately, there are people of great faith who are on the committee and of great faith within the church. And I leaned on you all so much. And you all just thought I was leading, but I was really following your faith. But then COVID hit, and that $12 million became $16 million. And we decided to lock in the price after $16 million. And then after that, we met with a group to see how much money we could raise in the first three years. And they said, if it's a hallelujah, kick down the door, hand raising, praise the Lord, slap your mama, jump the pew, it will be $2.8 million. And if it is just maybe, no, excuse me, if it's a good offering, it'll be 2.8. If it is just a hallelujah, crazy offering, it will be 3.2 in commitments. Okay, I'm doing the math. You know, I grew up in Tennessee, but you know, 3.2 and 16. Uh, yeah, I was discouraged, so I, I 
I called uh, a friend here in our church, Brother Mitch Waycaster, and I said, Brother Mitch, I, I just, you know, I, I don't even know what we're doing here. Uh, I'm just burdened by just this obstacle that it's in front of us, and I, I mean, what do you think that our church can do? And he said, well, hey, brother, he said, I'll forget what he said. He said, Brother Matt, this is not a question of what we can do. This is a question of what God can do through us. And he said, if I had to guess, he said, if God, he said, I believe we could probably do $6 million. He said that. I'll never forget that. And I don't know if you noticed two weeks ago, our church exceeded $6.1 million that we committed three years ago. That was even before COVID started. And that's not $6 million of giving. That's $6 million on top of record budget giving during some of the most unprecedented times of uncertainty in the last 50 years. Why did people do that? There's one word. Faith. Faith. It's because we believed in a God and believe in a God whom we cannot see. Believing that this wasn't the idea of a pastor, it wasn't the idea of a committee, but we came together as a church and prayed and sought the Lord and it seemed so clearly that God was leading in that direction. There was one no vote on one of our, um, I believe there was one of them that had one no vote. We took several votes. It was the one where we actually voted to tear down that building. I'm going to tell you all something. I finally, I figured out who it was, and I'm going to tell you who it was. Um, I'm serious. Because, you know, you, sometimes when there's one no vote, you know, sometimes the church needs that guy or that girl, right? But I was thinking, man, this is the most biggest, one of the biggest decisions. Like, who is voting no on this? Um, but anyway, you got to do what God leads you to do. We got home. We were sitting at lunch. And I just said, Andrea, there was one no vote. I said, but it was overwhelming. It was encouraged. And my daughter, Adeline Kate, said, well, Dad, it was me. <laughs> I said, why? Why did you vote no? She said, you're tearing down my Sunday school classroom, and I don't like it. <laughs> I said, fair enough. She's a good Baptist. Amen. Anyway, I tell you all of these things, friends. We have seen God prove His faithfulness right here where we went out into an unknown that we could not comprehend and has seen His provision come through in a way that we didn't know was there. And we're not all the way there yet. But if history says anything, history says that God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his promises. And friends, I'm telling you, there is only one way we are going to please God, and it has nothing to do with raising a specific amount of money. And that is this, is that if we as a church act on what we believe and believe who he is, or if we act on what we can perceive and understand with our own minds. 
but He rewards those who seek Him in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Jesus. Lord, I thank You for His faithfulness to us. And Lord, I thank You for examples in the Bible like Abraham. Lord, I can relate to a man that moves in between failure and success when it comes to faith. But Lord, you did not let him go. You did not lead him astray. You did not pull away your hand of blessing. You were faithful all the way to the end. Lord, I pray today that each of us would think about our own lives. What are we here for today? Are we here because we believe? Or are we here for some other reason? Lord, I pray today, whether it be in our homes, our marriages, the church, whatever it may be, that, Lord, you would make us people of faith. That the reason we are the way we are is because we believe your word is true. And we can trust you to take us to what is good. No matter what the circumstances look like on the outside. Lord, will you do a work in our hearts? For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.